Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and I'm proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Every episode of this podcast will bring in a variety of experts and authors to help writers of all genres compose more authentic cops, crimes, and criminals in their stories. For this episode, computer scientist and bestseller Tom Fowler steps into the interrogation room to try to get his story straight. Originally from Baltimore, Tom's an avid fan of that city and its culture. He works by day in the IT and computer science field and composes gritty PI fiction by night. His first and primary series is that of C.T. Ferguson, and that main character is something of a reformed computer hacker compelled to do good for his own self-interest. In the vein of Robert B. Parker's Spencer series, Tom offers his readers flawed heroes, action, intrigue, and a healthy dose of snark. The latest C.T. Ferguson installment, which is entitled Blood on Canvas, is currently available as part of the forthcoming Dead Silent box set. It releases on January 19th and is currently available for pre-order. Welcome to Writers on the Beat, Tom. I am so incredibly grateful for you coming on the show and sharing your time and expertise with us, sir. It's an absolute honor to have you here. No, thanks for having me. Now, your contribution in this Dead Silent box set that's coming out, I, I guess, just in a few days, uh, is entitled Blood on Canvas, and this is uh, a novella in your C.T. Ferguson crime series for readers who don't have the benefit of an advanced copy of this novella. What would you like them to know about Blood on Canvas? Well, the interesting story behind um, writing the book is I got my wife a gift, I want to say for, for Christmas a couple of years ago, and it was this poem on this black painting, I guess, um, and I know I know me the guy who has to get like the funny card and all that. Mm-hmm. I have to get one sappy card and stuff like that, and one sappy gift because those are the things that she likes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was the sappy gift. It was a nice heartfelt poem and all that. Um, and she really liked the poem, but she said the uh, the background reminded her of ugly black velvet Jesus painting she used to see <laughs> when she was a girl. She grew up in the Southwest, um, and just that for some reason that triggered like, hmm, what if, you know, what if there was this hideous painting and, you know, and it got stolen and, you know, who would want an ugly painting back? Cause wouldn't you be like, well, thank God it's gone. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much how it started. Um, there are some hideous paintings, uh, which are stolen from restaurants in Baltimore where all my stories are at least partially set. Mm-hmm. And CT Ferguson comes in and of course his question is, you know, well, it's ugly. Why do you want it back? Mm-hmm. And uh, the owner had you know, it's sentimental value. That's why they want it back. Of course, it ends up being more than that. And uh, this is a novella in the series. Uh, it takes him from Baltimore down to Miami to to figure things out. And uh, it's it's pretty short. It's a lot shorter than one of the novels. But you get most of the supporting characters in there, and the usual, you know, action and dialogue that I think the series has come to be known for. Now. I, I... I think as a writer, one of the difficult endeavors we undertake is trying to create a unique and memorable and relatable character, um, especially a main character that we can have readers invest in over a series. And uh, I kind of feel like you've probably done that pretty well here with CT. Okay. He's, he's, you know, uh, got a hacking background and ends up working as kind of a detective as a, as a PI in mm-hmm. Uh, I think that is, you know, absolutely very unique. I don't know of any other characters, main characters who are who are hackers, right? And 
I wonder how you created him. Uh, how did you meet him? And what is your background that allows you to, to make him a believable hacker? Well, I've been reading and watching mysteries and thrillers and crime fiction for ages. And, you know, I got the writing bug years ago and I wanted to create you know, a character for uh, like a mystery series, but I didn't want the, the grizzled ex-cop because mm-hmm. that's been done to death. You know, I love Spencer, but there's a lot of characters <laughs> out there like him. Yes. Um, and I didn't want the, this is the time I was also watching a lot of shows like Monk and Psych mm-hmm. and things like that. So I didn't want the photographic memory person. So I wanted to come at it, you know, still have what readers would recognize as a fairly traditional PI mystery, but with a different sort of main character. Mm-hmm. And I've worked in computers and computer security for 20 years now. Um, so I just thought, well, what if he comes from, not from a military or law enforcement background, but what if he comes from you know, the dark side of computer mm-hmm. security, if you will? And from there, I, I just kept adding things to, to the background and fleshing him out. I wrote probably 15 or 20 short stories. They were almost all terrible. But they did give me, let me find his voice Mm -hmm. and also keep fleshing out parts of his background. So by the time the series starts with The Reluctant Detective, I mean, he still has some growing to do over the course of the books, but he's fairly fully formed at the beginning. And when, when you sat down and were creating this character or he was... Uh, introducing himself to you, however that process uh, happened, um, how much of that do you feel is you coming through some part of you on the page and how much of it is this entire other entity, maybe an alter ego or somebody totally separate? Uh, I think he's pretty separate from me. I mean, there's some parts of the background, you know, with, with some of the things I've done, I can bring, you know, the, some of the knowledge of what he does to it. But his background, you know, setting aside computers, his background is very different from mine. Um, one of the other things about him is that he doesn't charge his clients. He works for his parents' foundation because mm-hmm. his parents have money. And they pay him when, he's, when he completes a case. And he just works mm-hmm. for private citizens. He doesn't work for corporations and insurance companies and things that a lot of private investigators in the real world probably do. Sure. So, you know, he comes from comes from a, a wealthy background, which I didn't, um, you know, he traveled a lot overseas and, and I've done a little traveling, but not to the extent he has. Um, so really it was, you know, I, I did want to draw a little bit on what I'd done to infuse that kind of reality into it. But I also wanted to make him fairly different from me in a lot of other ways. And to that end, what has been your research process for flushing out either elements of him that you were unfamiliar with or elements of your stories, your plots, um, other aspects that tend to lend authenticity to this series and this character? A lot of internet research. Uh, if they were local places in, uh, in the before times, I would, I've sometimes gone to those places to, to see what they look like, you know, because I mean, you can go on Google Maps and see the inside of a place, but it's not really seeing the inside of a place. I wanted to be able to describe it in more detail. So I would go to places and walk some streets. Uh, I'm from Baltimore originally. I I haven't lived there in a while, but uh, I do 
I know a lot of the areas where uh, the stories take place, but I can't claim intimate knowledge of the entire city. So, you know, it's a big place, I would, yeah. right. I, I would go there and, you know, walk around and go to different places where I would want to set things and look a lot of things up for some of the computer stuff. I would either, you know, do some research myself or set up like a little virtual machine to test a few things on uh, or ask some, uh, some current or former coworkers for uh, some of their experience to bring to it. Now, I find that most writers, especially the, you know, the bestsellers, the, the, the folks who were um, at, at least at your level of success are also pretty avid readers. And um, I wonder who your favorite fictional investigators are and maybe whose books you would like to see yours shelved between. Um, yeah, I've, I've read a lot of, of mystery novels and things like that over the years. Uh, the quality is a little intermittent sometimes, but I'm generally a fan of the Jack Reacher books. Mm -hmm. um, I also, uh, he's not, I wouldn't say he's a detective, but you know, sure. in the thriller space. Um, but in terms of like real mystery characters, um, Spencer mm -hmm. by Robert B. Parker and yes. continued by Ace Atkins. Uh, Jesse Stone is very good too. I also like the TV movies they made with Tom Selleck, um, maybe 10 or 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, those were really good. Yes. Um, John D. McDonald and his Travis McGee character, um, Philip Marlowe. I mean, a lot of the classics. I, I grew up, I wouldn't say I grew up, but maybe in my 20s and 30s, I read a lot of those characters. Um, Matt Scudder by Lawrence Block. Um, so that's really what formed a lot of my foundations in the genre is these more classic characters but that's also what made me not want to have the Spencer or Scudder type of you know grizzled ex-cop with the heart of gold who has to keep working as a PI and that's why I wanted to do something similar but in a different direction. Yeah and I, I think that's one of the difficult things right like um, I, I've actually got a uh, the new Ace Adkins um, book here Robert B. Parker someone to watch over me that um, we got the, one of the advanced copies that um, I think it comes out next week, and I'm just waiting to dive into that. But to me, like if you were going to try to write those characters, um, you end up being, I think, inherently compared to mm -hmm. the characters that Robert B. Parker and a lot of those folks created. Um, and that's a very tough thing to do. Um, and like you said, it's a very well-traveled road with very high reader expectations mm -hmm. and also I think very narrow expectations right like if you were going oh, to write a Robert B. Parker a Spencer type character um, it would be very difficult um, I think to have them fill that niche and be a unique entity I, I think it's much more difficult to actually tread down those roads than to create an original uh, original protagonist mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Ace Atkins has done a good job, especially writing someone else's characters. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, I think it probably took him a book or two to really get his rhythm. Um, but I think most of his Spencer books have been very good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, they've definitely been excellent. I'm really surprised in recent years by the number of authors um, who are being tapped to continue a lot of these legacy series, like mm -hmm. uh, Clancy and Ludlum and Flynn and... Um, right. A lot of those uh, authors who are really, I think, doing a really incredible job mm -hmm. of continuing these respective series without necessarily trying to imitate 
the exact voice of the original author, but right. essentially kind of paying tribute to the the quality and the concept and the voice of the work. But, you know, for me, trying to create one of these characters, like I, I wouldn't try to recreate a different Spencer or recreate a different, um, you know, Mitch Rapp. I, I think it's much easier to, and uh, interesting for readers, I think, to create those original characters like you have with C.T. Ferguson. No, I think so too. Uh, people do expect certain things to happen, certain character attributes in the protagonists of these series, but there's still wiggle room there to, to do your own thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I wonder where you find inspiration for your stories, for your plots, for the, the things that uh, you end up, uh, the knot holes you end up putting C.T. Ferguson and, and your other characters through. You know, some of it is just an idea that comes out of the blue. And sometimes it's reading a, a news article or seeing a story on the news um, where it's a similar kind of situation. And the thought goes, well, what if there was a dead body there? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, what if someone was kidnapped and put in that situation? And you're just twisting a little bit to make it, you know, worse for, you know, the detective or whoever has, has to come in and figure it out. And that's probably where a lot of it comes from, uh, either just ideas I get for situations. And often that's enough to start the genesis of a plot is this situation that's in mind. Or a story, a news story I either see on TV or read online and just adapting it and working it into the fictional universe I've created. For your character specifically with his hacking and computer science background, um, Obviously, a lot of your audience probably aren't hackers. <laughs> they probably, okay. you know, aren't computer scientists or programmers or coders. And I wonder how you try to or how you work to to give enough information about his background and the jargon and what his experiences mm -hmm. are with that um, without bogging readers down um, and uh, changing their experience. Yeah, that probably took me a couple of books to really find that balance. Uh, in the second book, The Unknown Devil, I had a few readers tell me that I went a little too heavy in the, uh, in the computer space. And there were some scenes that were, that I, I think probably contributed to that. So it's kind of like, you know, if you have a character pick a lock on TV. You know, yes, we know that picking most locks doesn't happen in a second or two, but nobody wants to see someone massage the tumblers for 45 seconds or however long it takes. So that's going to change the channel. Yes. So you've got to shortcut it, but still have it be credible. Like um, I've explained it sometimes that if CT were a bomb maker, I wouldn't give you the recipe to make explosives. Yes. I would say he mixes some ingredients and eventually they go boom. Mm -hmm. So I try to keep it pretty general in terms of what he's doing because I don't want to bore people with the specifics and bog them down in the definitions of different types of, you know, computer attacks and networks and things like that. Cause most people, you know, I think most readers probably aren't going to understand that stuff. Even if they do, they probably don't care. They want, they want to read an adventure story. They don't want to read, you know, three pages of somebody breaking into a server. And um, to, yeah, <laughs> to, to that end, I, I think one of the difficult aspects of, uh, of any kind of thriller, mystery, suspense writing, especially, uh, in a lot of the spaces we find ourselves now is making sure that we are appropriately balancing that authenticity mm -hmm. with reader experience. And one of the things that I think a lot of young writers have trouble with is 
giving up some degree of authenticity for their story for mm-hmm. the benefit of the reader and uh, like you said uh yeah i've only seen a couple guys pick a lock in under a minute but i it certainly you know as the reader i, I don't want to go through three pages of, of right. tense, tense pause right. waiting for this to happen <laughs> you know i think for most people most readers um if they're having to choose they're tending uh, probably to come down on the side of a story versus authenticity i think so and you know relating it to the movie situation and would you would you want to watch someone pick a lock on tv or in a movie theater for a minute i mean it's realistic but you know it's why people walk up and do it in two seconds because you've got a story to tell and you need to get on with it mm-hmm. yes i think that was one of the things in the first book that i I got published, that was one of the things that I'm kind of working to take back right now, actually, is reducing a lot of the mm-hmm. the things that I wanted to tell to make it more uh, a more legitimate cop story. And looking back on it now, I'm like, oh, man, this thing <laughs> took way too long to set up. Like, I, I would put this book down right now. So I've got to fix that. Yeah, and it's especially tough when you when you have a lot of expertise in the area. You know, it's it's different if you just research something and oh, I want to get all my research in there. But if mm-hmm. if you've lived and breathed this stuff, you know, if you're a marksman, you can probably write two pages about you know, sighting a target and pulling the trigger, but nobody wants to read it. You know, and in my second book, I went a little too heavy with some of the computer details, and and I've since scaled it back so that things happen a little bit quicker, and we get past that, and we get on to the story. And yeah, does the authenticity suffer a little? Maybe, but I've also had people who know what's happening say, you know, I'm glad you're not going into detail because I don't need to read all that. Yeah. I want to see a murder solved. You know, one of my uh, love-hate relationships with this writing profession is the uh, the research rabbit holes. And, mm-hmm. you know, I am um, by nature pretty inquisitive and mm-hmm. I am very easily led through the tunnels down to wonderland and um i can spend the majority of the day researching a few general questions that get increasingly narrower until i have that like two to three lines that i'm gonna write that i spent all day on and um i i wonder how you how you decide when enough is enough with that when you cut off the rabbit hole I, I can't think of a particular rabbit hole story offhand, but at some point my eyes just start glazing over because I've read too much and it's like, okay, I, I can't know much more about it than I know right now because I spent you know two hours or however long it is. Mm-hmm. And so I just, you know, make some notes or cut and paste stuff into my file and, and close up shop. And then, and then I get, then I get to writing. Just that feeling of, oh, God, I can't look at this anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also find that a lot of successful and um, accomplished, acclaimed writers also tended to have uh, some mentors along the way who helped inspire or hone or encourage your creativity and your craft. Uh, I wonder if you've had any such people in your life. Uh, my grandfather always instilled in me a love of words. Um, he did crossword puzzles every day. 
uh, including you know the local cross the you know, Baltimore Sun crossword puzzle, the New York Times crossword puzzle, uh, and he had probably the most impressive vocabulary of anyone I ever knew. Some because he did crossword puzzles all the time. Mm -hmm. He bought crossword puzzle books and he did all of those. And he always wanted me to to know words and to enjoy language and things like that. So that was probably the earliest influence on me in terms of just a love of language and of words. Uh, I had some teachers who were encouraging of my writing as I was as I was go growing up and moving through school. Uh, since then, uh, since I've been, you know, working part time at least uh, as a writer, um, I, I've talked to people like Adam Croft, who I think has mm -hmm. has has had some very good things to say. Um, Monica Leonell, more for like marketing and things like that. Uh, I've taken Mark Dawson's courses. Uh, never really talked to him that much, but uh, his story uh, is certainly uh, inspiring in terms yes. of you know writing several books, quitting your job, and, you yes. know, yeah, that's, that's the dream, right? So that, yeah. that's certainly inspiring, too. It is, and I, I think that uh, as, as Mark continues to say, there's never been a better time to be a writer. Right, um, absolutely. I think there's also, you know, certainly never been a more crowded time to be a writer. Um, yes. And trying to differentiate yourself in this marketplace, I think really does require that everything on... Uh, everything in your writer engine is running all on all eight cylinders that this is a very finely honed machine and um, for writers who focus so much on the book cover and the marketing and the Amazon ads and getting all those things right and then fail the story part mm -hmm. um, you know you might get a lot of first dates you know but you're never <laughs> going to get a, a follow-up you know right and um, I think for writers who want to actually make this a career and make a, a serious effort at, at impacting the creative world around them, I think you really have to get your story straight before Absolutely. you work on all those other things. Definitely. And I think a lot of that comes back to reading in the genre you want to write, whether it's crime fiction or fantasy or whatever. Um, being a writer has certainly cut into my reading time. Yes. Uh, but, you know, I've, I still read as many books as I can. And most of them are in the mystery and thriller space. Now, one of the things that I really personally enjoy doing uh, is to end our show with a hypothetical scenario, okay. uh, mostly because it's fun for me. Um, and so uh, one of the questions that I particularly enjoy asking, Tom, uh, God forbid it should come to pass, but if you were to wake up tomorrow and find that you had been murdered, I wonder what two fictional investigators you would assign your own homicide and it has to be someone you don't write okay um sherlock holmes he's popular and yeah i, I i'm gonna give the other one to spencer i i've read <laughs> enough of the books i think he'll he'll figure it out he'll punch a few people along the way and he'll figure it out yeah, I think that'd be a pretty incredible task force between, uh, you know, Sherlock's intuition and arrogance and uh, Spencer's right. grizzle and grit. Uh, right. Vengeance <laughs> shall be yours, Tom. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, where can readers connect with you and find out about any works in progress or promotionals you have going or maybe catch up on a newsletter, uh, find ways to stay in touch with you and your writing? It's all at TomFowlerWrites.com. That's T-O-M-F-O-W-L-E-R-W-R-I-T-E-S.com. Uh, there's information on my books there. There's social media links. There's a newsletter sign up where you can get 
uh, free novella for the mystery and, and the thriller series that I have going on. It's, it's all on the website. Fantastic. Well, I greatly appreciate your time and expertise, Thomas. Fantastic talking to you, and uh, really enjoying the C.T. Ferguson as an original character and a fantastic you. story. You've done an exceptional job here. Thank you. Good talking to you. Thanks for having me on. You've been listening to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters, a copyrighted broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and this episode's guest has been bestseller Tom Fowler. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there.